Um, but not your treasure to bury, time, right? Time is something that God has given us, it's a treasure, right? When we run out of time, we know how valuable time can be, right? When we don't have enough time, when we're trying to figure out what to do in our lives and, and it always runs up against time. Now there's other factors, right? Finances or other things that limit us, but really time can be one of them. Time can be one of the most challenging ones. So God has given everyone the same amount of hours in their day. As followers of Jesus, we see time as something that has a purpose to it. We should make time to glorify God and to enjoy what he has created. We should make time to glorify God and to enjoy what he has created. There's more things that fit into our life, but, but God has given everyone the same amount of minutes or hours or seconds or whatever you want to count in the day. It amazes me, and you don't have to be in uh, any particular president, but it amazes me how much a president of a nation, uh, a CEO of a company, uh, or how some people just seem to achieve so much in a day, and other people can be busy all the time and never get anything done. And, and, and so there's something to that, right? That, that time is given to each one of us, but there are different ways to use it. There's smarter, and, and then we'll, whatever the opposite of that is, less smart ways of doing that. And so we're going to look at what God has said about time. We're going to look at it in broad pictures, uh, and then we'll have a little takeaway, just a little application we could take away. There's more notes on the screen today, so if you're a note taker, please, again, know in our app, all the notes are there. And I know there's been a struggle. I think the app needs an update, and there's something with the, the App Store, so if that's, uh, I think that's only Apple users. So if you have that and you need these notes, and you can't write them down as fast as we go through them, which will probably be true, let me know, I'll just give them to you, okay? Um, but there'll be more. This is uh, an interesting passage that there is a time and a season for everything. If you're old enough, you heard a song when I read those lyrics, right? All right, turn, turn, turn. Yes, okay, so the rest of you, it's what Apple Music is for, look it up, all right? So, all right. Again, I would love to, except I am contractually bound not to, so... I wish I had this uh, post with me, uh, but I was looking at uh, times before that I've taught this passage, and uh, there was, in one of them, several years ago, it said, tell the story about um, a dad teaching his son to read on Facebook, and I'm like, man, what, what was that? And I sat down, I was, I was working my notes, and I'm like, what was that? And I remember what it was, and it was so long ago, I'd never be able to pull up the post, but there was this conversation going on. I don't remember how it got started, but at some point, it was about a son not being able to read at his grade level. Okay, so however we arrived there, that's the conversation. And there was a post from this, son's, from this boy's father. And he says, listen, man, I don't have time to teach my kids to read. That's his teacher's job. I don't remember how we arrived all at that, but I think the, the impact of that sentence really doesn't need a lot of context, right? I'm thinking, for the rest of your son's life, reading's gonna be incredibly important, right? Many of you might say, hey, I don't really like to read or do this, but all of you, almost all of you, are on your phones all the time, right? Or use a computer for work, or have to, even if you work with your hands, you have to write up bids, and you have to submit invoices. You, you're going to read all the, you know, to drive down the street, you've got to read the street sign or a stop sign or something, right? We will spend the rest of our lives reading. 
whether you choose to do it as recreation or education or you just do it in the course of your work. And I remember this guy thinking how busy he was and really abdicating his role to someone else to teach his son to read a fundamental skill set that son will need for the rest of his life. But we do that all the time, right? We do that in different ways. Many of you sitting here think it's, it's my responsibility or our children's, our children's director or her team's responsibility to teach your children about their faith. I would suggest that their faith being the most important thing in your children's life, that's your job, we wanna partner with you, right? We get down to, but I don't have time. A lot of people say that about a lot of things. If you're in community groups right now and you're talking about uh, reaching lost people and people you know that are close to you but they're far from Christ, and it might take an adjustment of your schedule to reach them, oh, but I don't have time to do that, I'm this busy. Well, if we look at the impact of these things, and and I'm kind of dragging this intro out a little bit, but I want us to consider how we look at our time and consider that other highly functional people can figure this out and that God's word gives us wisdom to speak to us about time. So Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon, the author, writes this. He says, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And again, don't think of seasons like summer and winter, right? Don't think in terms like, I'm, I can't wait that we're in March now, that time change will happen again, right? And what happened was voting on that going away. Whatever happened, right? I don't know. But I, I hope we change it and never change it again, right? Okay, so don't think of seasons like that, but think of seasons in your life, right? If we're, if we're looking at a married couple who are, you know, kind of their son is now in college, right? And we, we look at this, that's one season of life. Right? If we look at people who are now grandparents and great-grandparents, they're in a different season of life. Younger folks, newly married, maybe family building, different seasons of life. If you're young and you're still in school, you're in a different season. I want us to look at our life through seasons, right? And, and the goals for each time period. If you look at even our schooling, our education system, and, and just zoom out and, and what is intended behind it, whether it accomplishes and achieves that or not, that's a whole other conversation. But the idea between, behind preschool is not just childcare, but it's to prepare them for school. It's preschool, right? Kindergarten, really the goal for kindergartners is to get them ready for first grade. First grade, for second, second for third. You get the, you know, kind of get the idea, right? Whether it's fifth or sixth grade, they transition into middle school or junior high, prepares them to do that. Junior high prepares them for high school. Really, kind of high school is preparing them for college and college is preparing them for a career. We wish they were preparing them for life, but that doesn't seem to work anymore. But there we are. Everybody is moving you to the next place in your life, in the next season, if you will. And maybe there's, there's broader categories. Maybe first, second, and third grade is a season, or elementary school is a season, and middle school is a season. But we need to understand ourselves that in the different seasons of our lives, there are different values, different goals, and different things to be achieved. When we look at it broader, and we look at a young, young people, not yet in a career, maybe have a job, still going to school, still trying to choose a direction that will impact the rest of their lives. When we look at people that are settling in and building a family, having children, raising children, there's a season there and the values change. What's important to you at that point changes because of the season of life that you're in. So seasons of life, you're a note taker, 
<clears throat> Knowing what season you are, of life you are in helps you understand how to best spend your time. Time that is wasted or not managed well impacts your life and your effectiveness for God. <clears throat> Most of you know my story, uh, and I don't really, I'm not going to get into it today, so if this is brand new news to you, sorry, but... Uh, <clears throat> most of my life, the most of the beginning of my life was very poorly spent. Uh, in fact, it wasn't until I was 29 years old that I finally got out of prison for the last time, about six months before I turned 30, and married my high school sweetheart. So there's a fast view of 30 years, and a lot of trouble, a lot of drug use, a lot of crime, a lot of things. Military, I mean, you name it. Five high schools in three years, didn't even graduate. Uh, all kinds of a mess, right? And so at turning 30, I'm getting married, I'm, I'm still on parole, I still haven't gotten rid of that whole part of my life, and I feel like I'm in a place where any 18-year-old should be with less baggage, right? They're not on parole, they don't have any kind of debt or background or three felonies or whatever else it is. So I'm at this place where an 18-year-old should be, except I have baggage. And I remember thinking I've thrown away my life <clears throat> there's a great promise that God made. It's in Joel 2. And it's, uh, it's that uh, the promises to the people of God, he says, listen, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And, and he's talking about that this, this plague had, had ruined their land, and that it destroyed their crops, and, and there was this season of hardship. And God basically is promising them that if they stay on track, if they do what he's called them to do, he will restore things to the point where it will be as if it hadn't happened. I'll restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. And I remember being 30 years old and feeling that, that I've got so much that was lost, and God gave me that passage that I hung on to. And I remember hitting marks in my life where I'd been clean for longer than I had used, right? Where I'd been out for longer than I'd been in, which took a while, right? Where my life now on the other side of this has been more doing the right things than the wrong, right? I'm nearing a place, as I am in my 50s now, that I'm coming up on a time where I will have been a Christian for longer than I was a non-Christian. That'll happen in this next few years. So seasons of time, now if you're in the wrong season, if you're doing the wrong things in whatever season you're in, no matter where you enter the story, the hope is that God can restore them. But the idea is that there are things that you should be focusing on and other things that you should not be focusing on as much in this season. So, seasons of life. Verse 2, there's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. So the metaphor here, these two things, born and die, plant and pluck up what is planted, tie together. And you'll find that through Ecclesiastes, there's pairs of images, right? And so the time to plant and the time to pluck up is talking about there's a right season to start things, right? If you're a farmer or if you raise crops or if you even are a hobbyist where you like to garden, right? There's a time in which you plant things. And there's a time that isn't good to plant. And I don't know pretty much anything else beyond what I just said about planting anything, okay? But I know that to be true. And if you want to grow flowers, there is a season where they bloom and there's a season where they don't. There's a time to plant and there's a time to pluck up. So there's beginnings and endings. That's the next slide. Planting and harvesting like birth and death is about what is important in particular seasons of life. 
Starting and stopping things are more often about the seasons of life than they are about your circumstances. Here's what I mean by that. Just because you have a desire to plant something and you have seed and you have ground does not mean it's the right time. Sometimes the circumstances in our life push us towards a decision to begin or end something. There's bigger questions we can ask. What part of my life am I in? Should I be letting my circumstances dictate what I'm doing? Does that make sense? That there's other things to consider rather than the circumstances that might be pressing down on you. Verse 3, there's a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on kill, but consider, as it will say later, that there's a time for war and a time for peace, right? You can make a case for other kinds of killings and other things that take place in here. It's Old Testament. There was a, um, under Israel, there was a death penalty. There was all kinds of things. They take much more discussion than I think this, po- this passage is pointed at. It's just saying there's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. Consider David and Solomon, right? If you know anything about the Bible, the Old Testament, or the foundation of Israel, God calls a people to be his people, right? Calls Israel to be his people. And then he, he has a king, uh, and there's a, there's a series of things that get them there. It's not necessarily how they were designed. But then there's these good kings, Saul not so much, but then David comes, and David really is one who expands the territory of God's people. He goes in, he has a lot of war, he has a lot of victory and success in war. He takes a lot of ground on behalf of Israel. And near the end of his life, he desires to build a temple for God. He really comes to the realization that he lives in a palace and God lives in a tent. And he figures, I should do something about this, God has given me the palace, so... He goes to God and he says, listen, I want to build a temple. I want to get you out of the tabernacle and into a temple. I want people to worship you in a a building, not a tent. And God tells him, no, that's not your job. But I'll give it to your son Solomon. So Solomon comes along behind him. And really what what Solomon does is he fortifies Israel. David expands it. Solomon strengthens it. But God tells David this. He says, no. There's too much blood on your hands. You're the one I called for war. I'll let your son, who will live in, for the most part, peace. I'll have him build that. So there's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. There's a, there's a time to break down and a time to build up. Verse 4 says, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. All of us will experience death in our lives not only our own, but we will lose people we love. There's a time to mourn, right? We will experience good things. There are times to celebrate, right? Weddings, births, anniversaries, celebrations, things that go on that we are joyful about. There are things that will take place that require, that, that cause hardship in our life, be that an actual loss of someone or just a loss of things in life that are hard right? And so God is saying this, there's a time to mourn and there's a time to laugh, or a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to grieve and a time to celebrate. He's saying there's a, there's a season for these things. There's a time for these things. Now again, season, the word season can be used in a lot of different ways. It doesn't just mean the age bracket that you're in, right? But in a season of loss, there's a time to weep and there's a time to mourn. 
But if you've ever been through this, or if you've ever seen people walk closely with people, you can see errors on both sides. You can see people that just drift into perpetual mourning. They never heal. They never get on the other side of things. Now, I, I will quickly add this. There's no length of time. You're just like, hey, you get this many days, or weeks, or months, or years, right? But we do know what it looks like when it goes over. When it goes into a place where they're never going to be the same. And we know people on the other side of that that celebrate way too much. That everything is a celebration and, and everything must be on 10. Right? So weeping and laughing. Solomon's time for weeping and mourning, laughing and dancing, teach us to endure hardship and to enjoy life in right amounts of time. Too much of mourning or celebrate, celebrating can be unhealthy. God, that's supposed to be teaches. I don't know how I got to teases. Some days just go like that. God teaches us to worship and to lament, right? There was something Mike Brown said, Pastor Mike, when he was here back in November, and he just made the offhand comment, it wasn't even the point of his message, but we don't lament well in the church. And that's something we've talked about before. We don't, there, are, there are psalms and songs of lament throughout Scripture. There's a book in the Bible called Lamentations. Like, that's a piece of life. We don't do really well with that. As a church, as a people, as a Western American 21st century church, we don't lament well. But there is a season to weep and a season to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. Verse 5, it says, there's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Gathering stones here is about memorializing and remembering. There are passages all throughout the Old Testament. I think of Abraham as one of them where he piles stones to remind himself of something that God did in him and through him in that moment, and he sets up a reminder of that moment. There's a, a time to gather stones, and then there's a time to cast away stones. There's a time to, to forget, if you will. There's a time to get rid of things and not remember. So consider this, a time to remember, holidays, anniversaries, right? Anniversaries celebrate something. They celebrate a marriage. They celebrate something. Holidays are about a reason. For most of us, holidays, especially Christian holidays, Easter and, and Christmas and Good Friday, things like that, we're celebrating what God has done for us on our behalf, right? That we would do those things. Thanksgiving is just a time to pause, right, and be grateful, be thankful, there are those times, but there's a time to forget too. Like we need to forget some of the times that we have endured a lot of pain. We don't want that to define us forever. And, that we're, and there's ways to heal and grieve and work through hard things. But there's a, there comes a point where we need to let those things go as well. There's a time to gather stones and there's a time to cast them away. A time to embrace, he says. Imagine you're falling in love. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. When relationships become toxic, there becomes a need to refrain from embracing. Right, and now all the things that we're gonna hear today, they are not so clear, there's no black and whites, that you just, it fits here, it doesn't fit here. But there's a, a value system throughout scripture that help us to navigate some of these things. Well, when is my relationship worth keeping, and when is it not? What do I do in this situation versus this situation? Verse 6, a time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. 
Have you ever moved from a larger home to a smaller home? There's a time you just need to get rid of stuff, right? But then there's also, if you've raised kids, right, every little project they do in kindergarten must be kept forever in like a mausoleum, right? There's a time for that. And then when you get smart and you get older, you hand it all to that kid and go, look what I kept for you. Now you take it, right? <laughs> There's a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away. Verse 7. You know, in that, before we move on, there's a time to press into God. And there's a time to repent and let go of things that are not good for you. Right? And, and, and if you're in a perpetual state of repentance, you're in this constant cycle of sin. No, don't get me wrong. We're all in a constant cycle of sin, right? We always have something we're not doing right. But there's a time to press into God for nearness and closeness and worship and intimacy. And they offset some of the times where you're doing hard work inside your heart of repenting of idols and things in your life that distract you. There's a time for both. You can't just be sin, 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 sin. And on the other side, you can't just be pressing in intimacy, closeness, worship. Again, there's a time to worship and a time to lament. There's a time to press in and there's a time to repent. Verse 6, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and to cast away. Time, uh, verse 7, a time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. This tearing and sowing, remember there, there, there's two images that are always in these lines, right? Uh, so as we look at this, the time to sow, tear and a time to sow parallels a time to keep silence and a time to speak. And so there, there, these parallels are to give us images. There's two sets of images for each idea. And this one, we're, we're talking about this tearing would be disruptive speech, right? There's a time to speak up when something is wrong. There's a time to tear through an injustice that's taking place, right? And there's a time to sow. There's a time to heal. There's a time to speak up, and there's a time to remain silent. In our era, in our age today, we have a lot more of the time to speak up, right? Because of the advent of social media, there's a lot more speaking up when there should be maybe... I would suggest a lot more keeping silence, right? We talked about this a little bit last week, but silence and speech. The next slide, please. We often waste time loudly voicing things that are better left unsaid and often don't speak up for others. And the time to keep silent is often at our own cost and a time to speak is on another's behalf. When do we speak up when someone else is being wronged, right? versus when we are being wronged. Where are those times when we could be silent? Not everything that goes through your head has to be posted, right? There's a time to remain silent. A massive struggle, and you already know this, but a big struggle I have with Christianity, and especially in political climates, but it's true all the time, is Christian speech online. It's different. If you're an atheist or a Buddhist or something else down the street, whatever, you got your own set of rules you can live by. But Christians have been given rules for speech, right? That all things that we say would be filled with grace and truth, 
right? There's a time for truth. There's never a time that doesn't have grace in it. There's a political season right now, and, and wherever you are on the political spectrum, there are people sitting in the room that are the exact opposite of you. And imagine that as we go to social media and the vitriol and the, the things that are said. In the same week, about a month or two ago, articles came out in major Christian publications on how you can't be a Christian and support Trump. And another one who said, you, if you're a Christian, you have to support Trump. Right? I don't care where you land on that at all at this point. But you've got to understand, both those things cause turmoil. I watched that those articles dropped, and I watched people, both liberal and progressive, conservative, on the other side, I watched people write things like, like, man, our speech has to change. And, and when those little things came out, our speech must change. We need to be different. We need to talk differently. Within a, a, a comment or two, it devolved into pro-Trump, anti-Trump, or Pelosi, or anti-Pelosi, or Bernie, or whatever it is. It only took a couple comments for, hey, Christians, we need to speak differently to them justifying it by what they believe. There's a time to speak up, and there's a time to keep our mouths shut. Verse 8, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I just want to throw this quickly. There are some good uses of hate in Scripture and so I'll put these on the screen. Good people who hate bribes, Exodus 18, 21. Good hating, uh, God hating evil and evildoers, Psalm 9. A whole bunch of verses. I thought I'd throw that up there. God's hatred of idol worship, Psalm 31, Jeremiah 44. I know that Jesus says not to hate, right? And that if you, if you have hated, you've committed murder in your heart. There's a, a thing that Jesus does as he is speaking, but he's talking about it in context. There is a lot of good uses of hate. Hating people who take bribes, right? God hating evil, hatred of idolatry. Now, again, new idea doesn't have to be tied to all your speech, right? But there is a time to love and a time to hate. There is a time for war and a time for peace. Verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil? So, according to Solomon, there's a time for working, right? Is there any question in that? There's a time for working, right? Okay, good. All right. Whew. All right, I just have to throw the rest of the message away. So now, at what age do you think you're going to do the bulk of your working? Did somebody say when you're old? So, it might feel that way, right? If done well, you should not do the vast majority of your working in, when you're old, Right? The idea is that when you're young, you will learn. When you're young, you will grow. When you're young, you will mature. And then there's a time where you go out and you just get a job, right? I mean, it's not a career, right? I know, I know, I hear you. You're going to invent the next million dollar app. I know, I got it. <laughs> I got it. But some of us aren't that bright and just have to get a job, right? And do something at a fast food place or do something so that we can again mature and grow, and finish our education, and aim at something, so that we do things in the right orders, right? Solomon asked this, what gain has the worker from his toil? Verse 10, I've seen the business, busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, and he has made everything beautiful in its time, right? God has made everything beautiful in its time. Laughter in its time is beautiful, 
Mourning in its time is beautiful. Silence in its time, speaking in its time, working is beautiful in its time. But even when we hear that and, and the answer becomes, well, when you're older, you'll be working really hard. Well, what we would hope is that we can train our, our children and train our young people and train our young adults to remember that you have a lot of energy and a lot of learning going on. The younger you are, the more energy and the more you are constantly learning. That slows down over time. Both the ability to take on learning that fast and the ability to have all that energy, both those things dwindle over time. And so in that early space, we should be spending our time learning. We should be spending our time working. We should grow into that place, right? There's an idea that's the exact opposite of today, that, hey, I'm young, I'm going to enjoy it while I'm young. Well, then you end up working really hard when you're old, when you don't have the energy, when you don't have the time, when you do have all the bills and all the pressures, all the house payments, and all the trying to send your kids to college, rather than kind of sucking it up early and being able to enjoy your whole life. Verse 11, the second half of it says this, also, he, meaning God, has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God has put in each one of us a sense of eternity. Number one question philosophically around the world is, what is life about and what happens after we die? And that's in, that's in places where people believe in religions and different faiths and different things and places that don't have all that. People that believe in an afterlife and people that don't most common questions. God has put eternity in our hearts, right? The gospel speaks to eternity, that God created us, he designed us, that he knows how we're best to live and to work and to be, and that we have sinned. We've, we've decided that in that moment, whatever that moment was, not only have we inherited sin, but we have sinned, and really all sin is is saying, listen, God, I know you created me. I know you know everything. I know you designed me. But right now, I know better for me than you do. And we go our own way. And that sin has separated us from God. And so God entered into human history in, in Jesus. He assumed flesh, put on flesh, became human, fully divine, fully human. And he lived the life that God created us to live. And then he died a death in our place. And before we get to that, just consider this. That if Jesus died roughly at 33, 34 years old, that's what most people understand that to be and when it happened. How many years did he do ministry? Three. Vocational ministry for three. Where was he for the rest of the 30? Right? The idea is there's a time and a place. You would think with all the need that the world had, he could have got on it earlier, maybe at 21 or something, right? There's a time. There's a time for preparation, and there's a right time. And in this sense, it's, it's far more than a season, but it's following God's leading. So Jesus came and entered into human history so we could see God. And then he lived the life that we're called to live so we could see what it looks like. And then he died a death in our place to cover our sin, was buried in a grave so that we would know our death has been paid for, and then rose from the grave to give us new life. That in the resurrection, new life is given to each one of us who will come to faith in Christ. That no matter what it is, whether it's healing from your past or sins that you struggle with, whatever it is, the resurrection is victory over that. Victory over the sins you've committed and the sins that have been committed against you. That it's new life for the people who hurt, for the people who long for things, for the people who have, 
for the people who don't have. That the resurrection is new life for us all. Solomon goes on, he says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Now, don't misunderstand this sentence. This is not a, if it feels good, do it because life is short, right? Listen to what it says. Verse 12, I perceive that there's nothing better for them to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Live with a long view of life. Be joyful and do good. Do the right things in the right times, and you will have joy throughout your life. Now, that's, that's a truism. That's not a guarantee or a promise, right? A truism means it's pretty much always true. A promise is you will only be joyful if you do this, right? Like an if-then conditional clause. And, and doing good and doing right and planning and living rightly in right seasons does not mean you won't encounter turmoil in your life. I know we're in the middle or near the end of doing financial peace uh, on, I think it's on Wednesday nights, whatever we're doing. We're doing, a, I think it's eight or nine weeks or about in the middle of it. It's been years since I've, I've heard Dave Ramsey say this, but there's this, this thing that always replays in my brain. And he talks about having a rainy day fund. If that's unfamiliar territory for you, just having some money on hand in case of an emergency. That's what he talks about. He says, listen, if you, he says, it seems like there are a lot less rainy days when you have a rainy day fund, right? That when you prepare well, less things seem to be emergencies. That's the idea here. Live right, and less things seem to be rainy days. That does not mean you won't go through tragedy, trouble, or struggle. Verse 13, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. Eat, drink, pleasure. Don't stop there. In all his toil. In your work. In your season. In the right time. Done well. And again, <clears throat> the longer you live, the more you know about this, and it's inherent in living long. The younger you are, the less you understand this because you haven't lived long. Those two things don't get separated from each other, right? Making smart decisions today against culture, against the stream of our life, cause you to have a better life all your life. So celebrating in your youth. People often see youth when we are the most teachable and have the most energy as a time for pleasure, not considering the long-term implications. Do the hard things when you are young so you can live well all your life. Do the hard things when you're young so you can live well all your life. Start, man, just back to financial peace. It's like the opening section when you get in there and it shows you two people that save money and one that starts when he's 18 and quits when they're 25 or something like that. The other one that starts at 25 and saves for the rest of your life and saves the same amount each week and never catches the first one. Think about that. If you'd like to see that, I'll show it to you. Compound interest is amazing, right? But it's starting. It's denying yourself when you're young enough to start saving that pays off for a lifetime. It's working hard when you're young so that the rest of your life can be enjoyable. Verse 14, it says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it or nothing can be taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Solomon is kind of winding this down now with an eternal view, a long view instead of a short view of life. Verse 16, moreover, I saw under the sun, that's here on earth, 
And that, and that in the place of justice, even, even there was wickedness. And the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Right? And he's starting to take this long view and remind us that we're accountable for the way we live. That the way we live, we're accountable for. If, if time is a treasure that God has given us that we're called not to bury. In other words, not to just treat how we want to treat it. If that is true, then it follows that we're accountable to God for how we live our life. Not necessarily in the sin versus not sin or, or in the eternity you know, with God versus apart from God, but assuming believers, Christians, followers of Christ, that we are accountable for the way we live at the end of our life, especially if you are living inside of the grace of the gospel, you're accountable to God for how you live that, that we will stand before him and answer for how we lived our life. Verse 17, our last verse. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time under every ma- for every matter and for every work. This passage outright says that those of us who believe in Jesus and are going to heaven have been forgiven our sin and will be judged for the life that we live. You with me? That we will be accountable for how we live the life under the grace that God has given us. What do we do with this life? I love it. I picked up a phrase from Rob a long time ago. Discipline over desire. Doing the right thing in the gospel rather than what seems fun or whatever in the moment. And just doing that provides you an opportunity to have joy throughout your life. And this isn't a moralism, you know, try harder, do the right things, and God will love you more. It's not that. It's that God already loves you, has given you grace, has given you life. God, no matter where you enter into the story, like me, coming in a little bit later, God desires to restore the years that have been thrown away. But God desires that we would know this now, that we would hear this today, that we would be accountable for how we live tomorrow, that we would back up a little bit and just assess, okay, what season of life am I in? Should I be doing this next thing or should I be doing something different? But my circumstances seem to be driving me towards this. And yet it seems like this is, God is saying something else. How do we live? So judge for our time. And then I'll give you three applications after this. God will judge the righteous, meaning believers, as Solomon writes, does not mean judge for our sin, but rather judge for what we do with the time God has given us. Being stewards, meaning managers of someone else's things. Being stewards of every minute God gives us is our response to the life that he endows us with in Christ. Our response to the gospel is to live the way he calls us to. The proclamation of the gospel is Jesus to us. How we respond to it is how we live in response to the gospel. So a few applications to take away. So about seasons and age. God gives younger people the ability to work hard and prepare for the future. Next slide. No, you're missing it. There's a Proverbs in there. It's supposed to be on that slide. Can you back up? I can read it to you either way. So God gives younger people the ability to work hard and prepare for the future. Proverbs 20, 29 says, The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Some of you who are gray are like, score, all right. Not what it's saying, just for the record, all right? The glory of young men is their strength, their energy. That's what they have to contribute. Older men have wisdom. 
Let us live wiser in our younger years so that when we arrive at our older years, we can still enjoy it, right? The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Next one, parents, God has trusted you with kids and your primary responsibility is their faith. Proverbs 22 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Understand this, you can't control the outcome, but you can control what they hear. Train up a child in the ways of the Lord, and later, sometimes much later, just ask my family, sometimes way down the road, <laughs> after a lot of pain and tears and prayer, the gospel takes root and takes effect because God is bigger than that. Finally, to us all, tomorrow is not guaranteed. Time is a gift from God and a precious resource. James 4 says this, you do not know what tomorrow will bring what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to any one of us. Live as if you're going to live forever. Don't put it off like you're going to live forever, though. Live today like it matters. Live today. If you're young, be the best young, make the best young man, young woman decisions you can make. So that as you age, you can have more joy, have more space, have more freedom, have more time. If you're older and you're making up for the past, there's a promise. Again, and it wasn't a part of today, but let me just say that again. Joel 2, I think it's 22. God says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. You follow God, and I can tell you this from experience. Now standing here at 50 years old, looking back, at that fear when I turned 30 that I wasn't even as good as an 18-year-old. I can tell you today, I look back and I can tell you those stories and it's like telling you about a movie I saw or a book I read, but it's not me anymore. And you could be any 50-year-old guy and be in the position I'm in today and God has restored everything. That takes focus and time. That takes obedience to God. It takes doing the right thing in the right season, because God said so. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. If we know nothing else, if we know nothing else, Lord, we know that you did the right thing at the right time. I remember the prayer in the garden where you pled, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. You knew it was your time. You knew the season has arrived for you to go to the cross. You knew that for me to be standing here today and for all of us to be here in this room, that you had to go to the cross. Not that you wanted to, but you, you, you wanted to for us, but you knew you had to endure the hardship, the pain and the brokenness. And Jesus, you willingly stood up out of that garden and went to the cross, reminding us that sometimes doing the right thing is hard but the right thing is always pays off. I pray that our young people, Lord, would learn from our older folks, whether that be in their family or, or outside their family, that they would learn from godly people who could teach them the best decisions. They're teachable, and they're energetic, they're young, and it's beautiful. That is their glory, their strength. Glory of older men is their gray hair, their wisdom, their, their time, the ability of, to have lived life on this earth. Our church is named Generations for a reason. It's because we stand on the people who came before us. They paved the way for us. 
Our job is to hand it off to the next generation. But let us do more than that. Let us influence the generations. Let us influence one another. We love to dote on children and we don't do so well with older folks. Let us love our seniors. Let us press into them for their wisdom, for their experience, for their life. Let us learn from them instead of thinking as we all do when we're young, we know it all. Let us just know we, we don't know it all and we need to learn, always we need to learn. Jesus, we love you. You did the right thing in the right moment. You did it and now we're here. Let us imitate you. Let our faith be strong. Let us move to doing what you have called us to do when you have called us to do it. Let us lay down things that would crowd that out. And let us submit ourselves to you wholly and fully. Jesus, it's in your name we pray.